Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts, the show where we go behind the scenes of Atomic Robo, your favorite action science comic. I'm your host, Cap. And with me, as always, is the ever-seductive Brian Clevenger. Hey, baby. And the extraordinarily presentable Scott Wegener. Dapper, even. Hello. (laughs) And in this episode, we are talking about Atomic Robo Volume 8, Issue 5 of The Savage Sword of Dr. Dinosaur, the epic conclusion. Yeah, it's pretty epic. It's fairly epic, yeah. If you haven't read the issue yet, let me put a disclaimer on this this episode. I don't know what your listening habits are for Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts. I guess feedback on this series. There seems to be a minor worry that it was going to be the last Atomic Robo story we ever did. Really? Yeah. Like, I I don't know why that idea got out there. You didn't even start that rumor. And that's the sort of thing you'd start. I know. (laughs) So that's that's why I find it confusing. I'm like, I never... That's crazy. I never lied about that, so... Where did you get that idea? <laughs> You've lied about plenty of things, but yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to keep track. <laughs> They're like, the title is so crazy with the Savage Sword, Dr. Dinosaur. I'm never going to be able to read the book again because it will never be better than that because of Dr. Dinosaur. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I guess it, it does look like on the Tesladyne end of the story, like it does look like it's the end of Tesladyne. So maybe that's where they're getting it from. Uh, well, and it is the end of Tesseline as you as they as know, we it, know it. Right. Well, I mean, that suits our own needs, though, because we've been wanting to, you know, we've talked about this before, how, you know, it's hard to really develop a lot of the characters because we jump all the time. So Robo is really the only one that you can get any kind of character development out of. So for a while, we've been saying it would be nice if we had a cast set in the present that we could keep coming back to and, and get to know them better. So this is going to let us do that, sort of. Yeah, so again, disclaimer, if you have not read this issue, why are you listening to the podcast dissecting the issue first? That's super weird. That Uh, is weird. Yeah, don't do that, you weirdo. Yeah, please do Mm -hmm. not do that. There is, man, some stuff happens. It's, this is super spoilery. (laughs) And if you're using this podcast to avoid paying for the books, that's also weird. Read the books, damn it. This is a supplement. (laughs) Please pay these guys. They're they're really starving. Have you seen Ryan's ribs? (laughs) You can see them all. (laughs) Whether you want to or not. (laughs) (laughs) There's no meat on those bones. Um, So, Hollow Earth, we start and uh, 
Dr. Dinosaur has already activated his new and improved, definitely, definitely more awesome time bomb. Uh, and, and actually, I have a clip where you pitch Brian the redesign for the time bomb that happened during the course of an earlier episode recording. So I had this great idea, which you'll see when I actually scan the pages, that when Dr. Dinosaur reconstructs the time bomb, it will look like him like a giant idol of Dr. Dinosaur. Amazing. And so instead of, and so it's like 20 feet tall, instead of arms, it's got two nukes sticking out. Yes. And then where his head was in the two giant eye sockets, there are two more nukes sticking yes. out. The fifth missing nuke is sticking out of his mouth, which might be a little phallic, but I'm trying to make it not look that way. So it's just all pipes and, and TV monitors and shit shaped like Dr. Dinosaur. Yeah. That's pretty uh, so that panel will take a little drawing to do. Uh, I think if you concentrate on maybe just the head and if it glows. Well, the thing is, with all the vents and monitors and weird shit, like there's a million uh, points of that Nick can do cool light stuff right. with. So I don't know, we'll see. The Dr. Dinosaur lines in this issue are, it's, the, it's really the, the money shot of, of the volume. It's what everybody was waiting for is the things that come out of his mouth in this issue. <laughs> well, I, think, I think Dr. Dinosaur is pretty solid throughout. But yeah, this is definitely where he gets cranked to 11. Well, he, he was a bit... And issue two, because that's where he gets a lot of interplay with Robo. Mm. And then Robo and company escape. And it's not until now that Robo's back. And I don't know, the, the two of them just really set each other off. They do. Yeah, they do. So I've got, uh, que- I've got questions right off the bat. And I don't know, sometimes it's hard for me to sort through what Dr. Dinosaur is referring to that is uh, an, a real thing and what is not a real thing. Uh, that's just how we like it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I expect a little bit of deflection. <laughs> I can see in reading this issue that he is he is in fact very brilliant. Whether it's true, <laughs> like, right? <laughs> whether, we'll, we'll run with that supposition. Sure, go. <laughs> whether whether this brilliance is actualized or not, the knowledge that he believes himself to have completely validates everything about his character. Because he's he's dropping some mad science here, but it may in fact be mad science. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a weird uh, line to balance on because he. Is right, but in the wrong ways. And he's wrong, right. but in the right correct, ways. Yeah. <laughs> is the Tolman-Oppenheimer-Volkov limit a real thing? Yes, that is a real thing. That, that, that is part of how we determine uh, whether or not a star will become a black hole. Okay. Yeah, I had to Google that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with the time bomb, but it, it sounds really cool. It, it does. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems valid. And he knows a uh, a megalodon who is he, well. No, no, he knows enough megalodons to claim that he knew about the second smartest one. Yeah, so that's that's a thing that maybe happened in some re- but, some way. But again, he's crazy. So yeah. who knows what he's talking about? <laughs> right, and then then he goes and talking about the tachyon crystal matrix. Now, I just watched an episode of X Files called Synchronicity, which is about time travel. Uh-oh. And in this episode, they established a concept of tachyon particles. Um, uh, they don't really go into it, and I'm aware that people throw the word tachyon around a lot in science fiction, uh, and that it sometimes yeah. has something to do with time travel. Uh, but I don't really know uh, much about it. In this, in this particular episode of The X-Files, they say that the tachyon particles have the capacity to travel through time, and the well, problem... Here, here's the thing. Okay. One, they don't exist. Right. Two, haven't been in proven theory, yet. what they do is that they are always traveling faster than the speed of light. And part of why that's supposed to be possible is that they can never travel slower than the speed of light. So the laws of physics that govern them are a little different than what we're used to. But they're not real. But they get thrown out constantly in sci-fi. Because it, if that particle was real, it would be very convenient for a bunch of sci-fi tech. Star Trek uses that word. Star Trek, yeah. TNG used it a lot. They loved it. It was like candy to them. 
Yes. Yes. So, of course, you know, uh, a popularized but unreal scientific theory is exactly what Dr. Donisro would use to fuel his time bomb. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So again, getting back to he's right, but in the wrong ways. <laughs> so everything he's saying here, I'm following every word. Brian, you're just unloading new classics from Dr. Dinosaur. <laughs> well, they were inspired by uh, Scott's posing here. Oh, so... Prancing uh, Dr. Dinosaur. Just, you know, you, you need something to match that. <laughs> he's a happy dinosaur. <laughs> he's about to destroy all humanity, so why not? He's having a good day. He's having a great day. I really just run out of... Dr. Dinosaur poses by this issue. It's just like, well, <laughs> we have have this one. <laughs> Let's have him skipping around the time bomb. Why not? I'd be doing that. Meanwhile, there's a, a war going on with uh, crotch shots to the Rockmen, for what that's worth. <laughs> I don't know if they have uh, nuts, yeah, per se. I don't know. But, you know. Whatever. Their whole anatomy is, is, is a very question mark kind of area. The Bernard He's will never know its secrets. Well, Bernard would know, yeah. Well, he, he, too, was not entirely certain whether or not he was betrothed to the princess. <laughs> That's true. That's later, yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah, we got our, our Thundercat p- uh, panel here. Man, that helmet on Bernard, that was always weird to figure out. It's like, okay, so the dude basically has a giant tree log sitting on his head. How does he move his arms? Dynamically! Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got this whole thing going on with uh, calling his uh, associates lads and everything, and uh, it begged me to wonder, um, is Bernard a LARPer, by any chance? <laughs> I don't think so. No, I mean, he's definitely a nerd. Yeah. Probably like he would the know nerdiest of them. Yeah, he's definitely the nerdiest of the, of the science nerds at Tessadine. I think he's just in his element. I mean, Bernard yeah. has found where he fits in the universe. And he's, you know, an epic warrior in Hollow Earth. So he's going to talk a little, a little grandly, I guess. Yeah. He's caught up in the moment. I'm excited yeah. to see how he deals with this over time. If we ever see Bernard again, and you know, if he's always looking to return to Hollow Earth, find his <laughs> yeah. place once again, haunt him forever. Yes, be a shattered man. <laughs> he's found himself a lady. He's got a place probably. within the tribe. Yeah, probably, if, possibly. <laughs> if he can just go down there with some jugs of water, he'll be okay. <laughs> and food, maybe. Yeah, and lots of vitamin D pills. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Scott, you got a chance to draw a close-up of Robo's tiny ankle. Man, that must have been amazing for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I look forward to these ones. Yeah, he's supposed to be, the script had him running at Dr. Dinosaur. This was a script where there was always too much going on on the panel to actually fit in a panel. And he's supposed to be running at it, but as I look at it now, it looks more like he'd be blown backwards by the earthquake thing happening. But that works also, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I got the little Robo ankle and his, uh, his little Spelunkin rock climbing sneakers. These pages were a lot of fun. I wasn't sure what to go, where to go with any of it. And it's just like, ah, whatever. They came together great. <laughs> I just kind of stopped worrying about it and had fun with them. Tiny ankles. And it will kill you the most. More, more <laughs> classics. <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong. No, he's not wrong. He's, he's very right, in fact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Hollow Earth uh, battles were just uh, insane. So if we skip down a page or two, we've got uh, Bernard clocking the guy in the face with his, um, his Lion-O crystal fist. Yeah. So what's what's exactly happening here with Ber- Bernard? You know they've got those they've got those crystals that are allegedly going to make them impervious to the control of Doctor Dinosaur and all that jazz. Sounds logical so far, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but then then by sheer maybe kindness or will or or something, Bernard reaches out his hand and and the green crystal rock creature reaches back in friendship and in companionship and camaraderie. <laughs> He's putting out friendly vibes with his giant crystal helmet. Is he effectively overriding Dr. Dinosaur's airwaves? Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. He's a uh, yeah, pirate radio Hollow Earth style. Brainwaves. He puts out enough 
positive brain waves it's, so that the, the second it's try. Do. It's positive slime in crystal form. Yes. <laughs> See you in the right yes. color. Oh, don't ruin this volume for me with that crap. <laughs> I hate that Ghostbusters movie. That movie made me not like the Ghostbusters for a little while. <laughs> yeah, it was like the Phantom Menace right. of the Ghostbusters world. I do take issue with a large portion of it. Yeah, it has moments. It definitely has moments, but generally it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so let me tell you, figuring out how that handshake was going to work, that was tricky <laughs> since the, uh, the rock, these, this version of the Rock Dudes have like two thumbs, but whatever. It worked. <laughs> it worked great. You did it just fine. I didn't question it once. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So Bernard sways the tide of battle and yeah. single-handedly wins the day, let's face it. All right, and then time as we know it ends. <laughs> so that's just Bernard all over. Wah, wah. There's some stuff that Dr. Dinosaur is saying here. Again, it makes a little too much sense. He says, Tachyons from the bomb's detonation in the future provide the fuel for its activation in the present. That sounds totally plausible. pretty legit. Okay, so the other part of Tachyons, if they can travel faster than light but not slower, is that they can also counter travel through time. So, you know, what better foolproof plan for your... your you know, the, the problem with big bombs or, or big villain plans is that, you know, the hero figures out a way to stop it, right? But if it's this time machine weapon... Why wouldn't you make it so that it'll work if it worked in the future where they can't stop it yet? So then that's what makes it happen in the past, which is the present. And then that's mm-hmm. what makes it happen in the future so that it happens in the present. So, of course, that's the way it works. Yeah. I think about time travel a lot. If, if it makes you feel any better, I had to read this like a bunch of times <laughs> before I knew what was going on. I hadn't been this confused by an initial script read since uh, volume three where Robo meets up with himself a bunch of times. <laughs> Brian, uh, how much time have you spent over the years thinking about the concepts that would eventually turn into this volume? I don't know, because I I really enjoy the idea of hollow Earth uh, fiction and time travel stuff. And so I I would would qualify it as quite a lot. (laughs) So was there a point at which you knew, okay, this, uh, this time bomb thing? I mean, obviously, Dr. Dinosaur's plans, as much quack science as there is involved in everything he's saying here, is pretty well thought out. And were, were these things real somehow, these ridiculous concepts real, he would be extremely validated in his ideas. So that tells me that you have put a fair amount of thought into this. In, in the sense that, well, I'm not sure which direction you're, in which you are uh, asking the question. Any direction, all directions. I mean, obviously the tachyons from, my, from me asking the question have activated... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I will say that I've been trying to introduce Dr. Dinosaur since, if not volume one, and it was pretty early on. Really? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, it, it took a while to convince Scott that it was worth doing, only because Scott didn't want to draw the dinosaur because it's hard to draw. Well, that wasn't all of it. I mean, <laughs> that, was the, that was the bulk of it. When we first started doing this, I think the tone we wanted to set for the comic was a little less slapsticky and a bit more action-adventure. More Indiana Jones, less Buckaroo Banzai. But then... When we did the free comic book day story with Dr. Dinosaur, that really kind of shifted. Well, yeah, I mean, A, everyone loved him. And it really kind of shifted my own thinking about where and how we should go about doing the comic in general. Although it's funny because I feel like I have like I have plenty of absurd ideas myself. But like when I introduce them in conversations with Brian, they never seem to come back around. Uh, I have a whole little metafiction for this uh, this character we're introducing in volume 10, who I want to do some weird, goofy stuff with, but I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> None of it's goofier than Dr. Dinosaur, so there's that. But It's too early to, to comment on it. That is true, yeah. 
But anyway, yeah, Dr. Dinosaur, you wanted to introduce this in volume one. But I was resistant, yes. Uh, and then I was re- continue to be resistant just because. He's well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he is absolutely, I mean, this is the most Dr. Dinosaur I think we we're ever going to get, period. You guys have hit a high watermark here between everything happening with Bernard and Dr. Dinosaur. I mean, it can't ever reach this extreme point ever again. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Don't sell us short. I'm not saying you guys have plateaued. I'm saying for this this kind of content, I think fans would, well, they'd be foolish to anticipate something like this anytime soon again, because it's such an extreme. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think you want to kind of rein back in and then build back up to this sort of thing. Yeah, well, yeah, I uh, absolutely agree. I think what, what it is that we get these guys into Hollow Earth, which in itself makes no sense at all. And it was just this excuse on a narrative level to just turn off all the rules and let everything get as crazy as it possibly could. Right. And it and just still, doesn't make sense to do this on the surface. Uh, yeah. And if you look at the surface story, the Tesla Dine story, it's all very kind of, it's very real, real world with the cool O'Reilly guy and the, the sci-fi kind of story happening at uh, Tesla Dine. Like it's a very different tone between the, the two major stories of this arc. I love the moment of uh, Bernard having to let go of his beautiful rock bride's hand. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was very well done. Yeah, I just those last three panels. I don't recall if they were actually scripted or not. I think it was. I don't think they were. There, I just wanted to... scripted, but not necessarily the way that you depicted it. Right, right. There was the whole they get pulled apart right. and whatnot. And I really wanted to get this like super <laughs> yeah. cheesy. Oh, it definitely was not scripted to be like that's like a third of a page, isn't it? Yeah, the th- the three silent panels. Those were not scripted. It was yeah. um, they were just kind of like little add-ons. I just really wanted to get like a really lame like Harlequin romance love story kind of level of corniness going on there. As if they had any kind of relationship. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, A, rock people don't even talk as far as we know. B, he's maybe met her two minutes ago. I mean, it just makes no sense. And I, and I do love that the concluding image is this oddly sad, faceless moment of the rock princess. <laughs> Are those eyes or are they just head knobs? Who knows? <laughs> I didn't want to give her any kind of um, specific gender identification, but I figured a couple of extra crystals on the head might be uh, the way to go. Yeah. All right. but of course, now I realize in retrospect, in, the, in the, the few scenes where we see a bunch of rock people, I didn't draw anyone else with the extra. So she might have the crystals on her head just because she's the princess. And that's how you should know she's the princess, not how you know she's a girl. I don't want to have like a whole Smurfette syndrome going on here. <laughs> I think it would be absurd for us to even think that we could understand which one is the lady, which one is the male. To them, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, for all we know. So whatever this... rules govern it, uh, we know logically or whatever, we don't know. I think beyond the fact that Bernard has an absurd and extremely brief romance with a Hollow Earth rock princess, that was about as deep as we thought about the issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually that and i just really wanted the line that uh bernard says in its panel three of this page i have respect and maybe a wife yeah, maybe <laughs> <laughs> like he I, he's cool with it either way i was never gonna get either of those in the surface <laughs> world yeah poor bernard <laughs> such a mess and then an actual mess as the city detonates Oh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that took a little bit of time. I was like, I, I know he Instagrammed some of this stuff, and I sent some to Brian and just be like, look what I'm doing. This is crazy. <laughs> it took me all day to do this one panel. Yeah. <laughs> I eventually, you know, I, ah, this is a, yeah, I, I always come back to, yeah, I love, I love the way we jump around through time, but here we are in the last issue, and I'm finally, like, 
feeling comfortable enough with Hollow Earth to kind of experiment a little and do different things with the buildings. And I mean, probably no one else will notice this, but the buildings in this issue are a lot more interesting, I think, than the first issue where I was just kind of like, I don't know. It's like Stonehenge underground, I guess. I don't know. And then they're all gone. <laughs> Never to be drawn again. As we get to this gorgeous page, 13, full spread of the city detonating and these great inserts and everything. And it's one of many panels in this where we've seen the pterodactyl or pterodon flying around in the background. And uh, I would like to point out that in the first episode of this, or second, one of the two, where Dr. Dinosaur is seen on basically some kind of pterodon thing, you guys said, no, that just looks like it. That's not what it is. And then this, then this scientist later on in this issue says, oh, it's a pterodon. I was like, whoa, you guys. Well, to her, I mean, you know, she's just viewing it from a far distance. Yeah, what else would you call it? Yeah, well, what else would I call it? In the moment. Right, also Lang, not a paleontologist, going to throw that out there. Yeah, it's not, it's not the same pterodon that you would say see in the Museum of Natural History, but it is, I mean, clearly it's flying here. It's not crawling around on its wings like it was before. I'm just saying. Right. No, no, you I guys think, sold I me up the river. I, I think our original conversation was on, on that was that it isn't specifically supposed to be any kind of pterodon that we would find in a museum because its head's all weird it was just the, you know they'd evolved into some sort of pterodon like creature so but yeah what else are you can identify it as it's not a bird it's, i don't know whatever so i guess technically it is a pterodon but it is not any pterodon that we would be familiar with okay well thank you yeah validate my life choices <laughs> all right and then like man two i'm not sure how this is going to work in print but these two massive pages just bam bam it's it's incredible as soon as the, the lava worm emerges and you were you were hinting to this in a prior episode about uh how not so scary this would be when it finally comes back and uh boy it sure did <laughs> yeah this stuff was uh, a really fun challenge to draw and uh, actual legit fun not like pull your hair out fun but <laughs> i hope they work well in print because man they they look good digitally well the, the, the actual pages look good i hope that like kind of the epic scale of it translates over into the smaller print page yeah, well, I mean, you, oh. you look at the scale of it, and you, of the actual worm, by comparison to everything else that's been going on here, truly no one who's participating in this battle could ever grasp the scale or size of what's happening beneath them. That's exactly. It's suddenly they are on Arrakis, and there is a giant sandworm. I just can't believe that it's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, about that. I mean, like, like, there's a lot of things going on here, Brian, that are very, um, I guess Robo's always been the struggle between stuff that doesn't make sense and stuff that does well for, right from the from the giant ant onward it's been the story of something happening and robo's like that's not possible uh i'll, I'll punch it because yeah. it, it frustrates me but this this entire volume <laughs> is a series of impossibilities that he's gonna have to live with forever the giant immortal magma worm is kind <laughs> of a microscopic version of the macroscopic joke of this volume in that Dr. Dinosaur, yeah, as soon as we see him in issue two, when he finally gets some real screen time, it's like one of the first things he drops as, you know, oh, yeah, this is the Hollow Earth, here's the city of Adabar, here's the Rockloids, oh, and, you know, all of this got here because of the, the giant immortal magma worm, and that's like, you, the reader, go, okay, this is just Dr. Dinosaur, he's just, he's just crazy. No, here it is. Yep. <laughs> Another thing he was right about. I'm really questioning um, my entire understanding of just about everything as this volume wraps up because Dr. Dinosaur has been right about everything so far. Yeah, it, it is really the worst possible of all worlds. <laughs> <laughs> 
Also, Scott, my God, gorgeous work on when the lava worm erupts from the mountain. Like seeing the the shape of it inside the smoke. I don't know. I, I guess that's a it's a you know it's a little bit of you. It's a little bit of the colorist, but um, but man, it's a it's very well done. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, and Nick did a, a really great job on this whole volume. Yeah, on these two pages in particular, but the entire volume he really knocked down. Yeah, I was very psyched when I got these. They, they look great. The the lighting effects that he did and whatnot here are just mm-hmm. there. They're perfect. Mm-hmm. Figuring out the page where it pops out of the top of the uh, the mountain was a uh, that was fun. <laughs> I wasn't sure how to actually convey the scale of that, but I think I think, uh, okay. I think it worked. It's funny on this entire page when I sent Brian a picture of it. The thing I was most happy about, I was like, "Dude, look at this awesome helicopter I drew." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a really good helicopter. It's a great helicopter. I've never drawn a helicopter that well before. <laughs> never will again. Oh. <laughs> sad helicopter next volume all uh, helicopters robo in the land of the helicopters <laughs> or let's say whirly yeah, birds these, these last couple of pages were just fun again because of the scale of the magma worm i felt like i had to kind of warp things a bit so like the back to the back of the worm where robo's is kind of dangling there and stuff like that is a lot of fun i mean we did a couple of really weird angles stuff like this and when they fell into hollow earth in the first place but Panels like this are just so much fun to do. It looks really good. Thanks. Man, all this stuff's going on, and uh, the time bomb has disintegrated in just this lump of problems. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's glowing, and it's filled with nukes, so even if it is not actually a time bomb, it's just a bad idea. Yeah, yeah nothing good is going to come of this. This is, what, the fifth time this volume, uh, next page down, where Robo throws the, the action scientists yes. to relative safety somewhere? <laughs> the fifth time. But they, they, know, they know what to watch it's, out I'm for saying, now. I'm just saying, you might be in a bit of a riding rut here. I, I don't know. But <laughs> what is it? Tell me. I want, to, I want to know. What would be a faster way for Robo to save their lives right now? That's right. They should have so many broken bones. <laughs> this is this is officially uh, when I when I read this. Looney Tunes when he was a kid. When I read this, I thought this I have, is. It's funny. We, so we have we have a, a new colorist working with us on, on the next volume and hopefully for the next several volumes. Uh, Anthony Clark, who does a bunch of really fun stuff on the web, but uh, I think he's best known for uh, his web comic Nedroid, and uh, he also colors the Doctor McNinja web comic. But um, one of the folders I sent him as as like color reference for like what's in my head. When Robo is happening, I have this giant archive of just Tex Avery backgrounds from Looney Tunes. So don't tell me I don't watch enough Looney Tunes. <laughs> I sent that guy like I sent that guy like four gigs of like Acme Acme boxes and and Southwest uh, Roadrunner vistas and whatever. They're safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, when when I when I saw that instance with the helicopter, I thought, okay, this is it. This is the most valid time Robo has ever thrown someone <laughs> like a like a big hunk of meat. Thank yeah, you, I mean, what's the, what's the chance of them actually, you know, contacting the spinning rotor blades or anything like that? It could, you know, he's a he's got a robot <laughs> mind. Drew it at an angle so that uh, you know, the blades would be pointed away from them. Yeah, yeah. I was actually I I really love that panel. This this panel, this one and the one where Rose hanging off the uh, the side of the worm, I think are my two yeah. two of my favorite panels for the whole story. They're extremely well compositioned. They're thanks. They're well. There's they're just there was so much going on. The only way to yeah. fit everything in was to just go bizarre and like and super extreme with the angles and everything and it's, it's nice because a lot of times when things are happening either uh space wise or me being tired or rushed or whatever i i, I don't go for super extreme stuff like this because it takes a lot of time to figure it out but i don't know i just hit a really good groove with these pages and just kind of i think these pages came out the fastest of any of them they just kind of yeah, you were uh, toward the end you were just flying pages out 
Yeah, I was, it was good. I was in a really good space. I was, <laughs> I'd like to back to that. I was in a very good place. I, I will say specifically the panel where Robo was hanging on is sort of that, you know, above view looking down. Yeah. Because of that panel, because that's not at all the way that it was scripted. I, pre- no. I mean, essentially what's happening is clearly what was scripted, but the emphasis was on something else. I don't even remember now. But because of the way that it made this page happen, you invented for me the, the gag in that panel. Oh, to bring back the Magna joke? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything wraps together so well in this volume. All the parts fit. I think the way the page worked originally, Robo correctly called it a magma worm, but then I saw that, oh, he's got to notice these guys down here. Yes. The best way to do it is to have Bernard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. That wasn't scripted that way. No, it wasn't. (laughs) This is a good opportunity to dial back in the issue, and let's talk about the Tesladyne story arc before things really get, um, well... Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, sure. Tagging back to uh, page four, we're back on Tesladyne uh, Island. Big scene, lots of dialogue. They are very occupied. Occupado. Yeah. <laughs> Things are bad. Jenkins is kidnapped. He's got an eye bruise. And then that admiral dude or whatever he is, he's smug. The general, yeah. Yeah. So we, and we get these two Tesladyne guys from the end of last issue. And this is yes, their George and Anon. Yes, this is their last hurrah. The last people that you will ever draw from from your friends into Tesladyne scientists. Probably, Probably. maybe. Who knows? <laughs> that that's a, that's a story now. Yes, using their Apple phones. <laughs> it's like an apple, but it's an Apple. I just like that, that that face that Anon is pulling at the bottom there. Like that's the face I pull every time I read one of Brian's scripts. Pretty much, yeah. it's like oh. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation really just <laughs> the whole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You guys have such a good working relationship. You're such good friends. <laughs> then really uh, busting forward to uh, page eight, they're in uh, a bathroom, which I guess is a bathroom for whomever, as indicated by the sign. The transgender non-specific restroom at Tesla. Yeah. Yes. Is it a restroom for everybody or is it a restroom for just people with it's, different parts? It's a restroom for people who have been involved in science accidents at uh, Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, the ba- it wasn't supposed to be in the bathroom. They were supposed to be like in a control room somewhere, hacking computers and stuff. And for some reason, I just I thought it would be funnier if they were hiding in the bathroom, having their conversation. I was reading an article about a transgender kid who had gone through a bunch of crap at uh, their high school and just how a lot of people come out to support, but also all the, the hassles of dealing with. And some college had finally put in, high school, college, whatever it was, had, had actually put in restrooms with labels for transgender students and i just thought that was cool so i was like yeah tesla would probably have that yeah Yeah. so is that actually the uh the emblem that they use Uh, it's one of yeah that's cool i mostly just want an excuse to draw feet under uh restroom stalls always fun (laughs) yeah i don't i don't remember i really can't remember where they were supposed to be i think they were in a lab no they they weren't even in the lab they were i think they were still stuck in the were they crawling through the the air vents i don't know they were they were doing something yeah not the restroom and then all i remember is you told me oh i'm gonna do it in the restroom and i was like yeah, okay that sounds great <laughs> yeah that was that was my next that question did did scott ask or did he just do it scott does not ask <laughs> I sometimes scott, scott will occasionally inform <laughs> I sometimes i just like to surprise him <laughs> look at this thing took me six hours you couldn't possibly ask me to do it differently <laughs> and i don't usually not no yeah this whole conversation between them though is just perfect yes it is <laughs> and i i the way i plotted it out there was just this room at the end so i was just like well these guys are total nerds and dopes they would totally fist bump over the stall and yeah that. they're used to it they're always fist bumping over the stalls it's like a thing they do 
I'm sure it is. <laughs> I wonder what they do at Tesla. Yep. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> they, they don't even have offices where they work. Maybe this is where they go. <laughs> Jumping ahead to page 12, the, uh, the master plan is enacted and... Hacking uh, the signals. Yeah, and, and I mean, they save the day. They are not screw-ups. Yeah, see, oh. had this been Lewis and Martin, uh, yeah, that would have been bad. <laughs> they would have killed themselves somehow. Yeah, no doubt. Poor Jenkins, down to one eye. Well, I mean, as the patch comes off when, by the time you get back to page 19, and I guess, I don't know, maybe he was just bleeding. He's got no eye, yeah. Wait. <laughs> it's all milky and gross. Is that what happened? I, so is, he, is his eye, is he going Nick I, Fury? I suppose, you know, we, we didn't come to a final decision on that, but I, I, I think Jenkins is blind in one eye now. Why the hell not? Make him more badass. Give him a Nick Fury patch or a cybernetic eye. Or a bolted on patch. A bolted on patch. I think he should have <laughs> he an eye himself. that only like bionic cybernetic feature it has is that it has a barcode scanner in it. <laughs> and he could be like a walking price check machine. <laughs> he's, he's a greeter at Walmart. And a greeter at Walmart. Boy, he's, I uh, hope that you have a receipt for that. Right. He's also on food stamps because I don't pay him enough to live on because it's Walmart. This conflict between him and the general was great. I mean, it, uh, the, the Jenkins. Like everything, this volume has everything. It's got the Dr. Dinosaur, the unexpected journey of Bernard, uh, which, I mean, no one could have possibly looked forward to. They didn't know that they could feel such joy. And, uh, and then these Jenkins moments accumulating here in like a perfect Jenkins standoff. Amazing. This was all John Woo, hard-boiled homage, this whole scene here with the, the gun standoff. With, you know, just, just Jenkins instead of Chow Yun-Fat. And power armor suits instead of Yakuza. Yeah, yeah. I, I also really love that, once again, like all the, the Jenkins mayhem has happened between the panels and while other things are happening on other pages, so you rarely see him doing what he does, but... It just enhances the plan. Yes, yes. So much mystique. <laughs> and with all things with Robo, it ends in a huge explosion, and uh, you don't know what happened, which is of course. kind of the, yeah, mo- was, the moral of the story. That was a bit of a debate, actually, because it was supposed to be, he shoots oh, the yeah. thing, and then you're supposed to see Jenkins jump out a window, and then the explosion. Or but, yeah, he was jumping out while the explosion. Or something like that, yeah, yeah but... Uh, I had to sell you on that a little bit, I think. And then I just drew it and said, here's the page you get. Yeah, <laughs> it works. I mean, I think so. You, know what you, you don't know what happened to Jenkins because we've been arguing, not arguing, but discussing about what happens to Jenkins and, and where do we want to go? Like, has the Jenkins joke of the Uber mm-hmm. soldier, has that run its course? Are we done with that? Is there more to it? There, were, there was at least a week or two where I was just confirmed that this was going to be the end of Jenkins. And then I think we decided, OK, we'll just want we'll have him jump out the window and then who knows what happens, but I think this is a nice compromise because now, you know, which one is it? Yeah, and we could change our minds again and again yeah. and again. Bouncing back to page 18, right before the big explosion. I just love that I got the news. <laughs> that, that was not in the script, and I think no. that was, that, was like, yeah, that, that was another one that was inspired by the art, because like... What, what, what was in the script was good, but then I read this, and I was just like, it's, it's always really awesome to like read these proofs and actually laugh out loud myself, even though I know more or less what's coming. I yeah, that, ha- that happens to me, too, because your art will change what has to be there, and it's always for the better. It is pretty but interesting just, hearing you guys, uh, like, it's clear that you have an, a true collaborative process, which is something that I don't know that happens too often. Yeah, there, there's a ton of back and forth. I mean, I just, oh, yeah. I just found another one right here on page 17, the very first thing that Dr. Dinosaur says uh, that wasn't there. Uh, I think before, uh, I think we just saw the doctor. Yeah, we just saw him flying off. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Other action was going on. It's been real, but it won't be for long. So good. (laughs) 
I can't remember why I put that in. I just think because yeah. because it had been a lot of long shots on Doctor Dinosaur for several pages, and he's in because of the the epic scale of the the magma worm. I had to draw him really tiny everywhere, so I just felt like you needed one last Doctor Dinosaur close up. So I just threw that in there. Then um, Robo's got the nukes all under control. Yeah, and and then something um, irreparable happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man that last panel on this page i think i and it's funny because you look at it it's not exactly complex it's just a big half circle with the jungle blowing up around it but i must have redrawn that like i don't know how many times i must have erased the hole through the page trying to geez, figure those out i would not have guessed that yeah well it was um i couldn't figure out how much because it's but i think as the script read it blows up and then you see the head of the worm falling back into the smoking crater and and then maybe the big akira explosion i remember akira explosion being two words yeah. from the from the script <laughs> um, no it was very specific yeah yeah it was <laughs> and then there were some issues of scale and like you know how, how with, the, with the chopper and the, the the surrounding terrain and all that jazz and turns out i had fantastic yeah, I, I actually simplified it a lot, and that fixed all the problems. Because originally, I had drawn in the mesa and the worm body falling oh, through and whatnot, yeah. and there was some, there was a lot of stuff inside the bubble, and there was actually kind of concentric layers to it. Mm. But I think it was just it was too busy because you could see so much detail, you didn't get a sense that it was huge. Right. So this looks enormous. Is what we want. Good. That's a good ending for the uh, for the magma. And now we don't ever have to really explain the magma or the immortal, exactly. the no longer immortal magma. <laughs> well, we didn't see the head falling down now in this version. So, I, I, yeah, in my opinion, it's been vaporized, or it could be now it become a giant sandworm in the Southwest Desert in the past. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads us to the thing that I've been waiting for a very long time, ever since. Not uh, as long as us. Yeah, n- not as long as you guys, but I, but I have known about this for a while. Just the, the realization yeah. that truly everything that Dr. Dinosaur ever said, no matter how wrong maybe what he said was, the reality of it is that he's always right about everything. Accidentally, yes. Kind of right. <laughs> I mean, the bomb technically did not work. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. That's just true. The bomb did not work. And yet... Or did it? Did it, did it erase <laughs> all history back to 1870 and then it has to recreate it? Hmm. That's just crazy. Maybe he didn't have enough nukes. Maybe he had more nukes to push it back further. More nukes would solve everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously. Uh-huh. At the very least, it, it didn't do what he thought it was going to do, but it did do the impossible. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so there's that. Indian Territory, 1870. Yeah, I'm psyched. So by the time this comes out, I'll finally be able to start sharing artwork again. Because I've been drawing cowboys for like weeks now, and it's like, oh, can't share that. Can't share that. It'll spoil by me. <laughs> I did share one, two panels that had no robo in them whatsoever and just was basically, just said I was like working on my own thing while I was waiting for a script revision from Brian, but. Uh huh. It's a lie! <laughs> I was drawn volume nine. Well, that's, uh, that's just a hint. Uh, watch carefully everything Scott does. <laughs> Scrutinize. Uh. Obviously, robo is in the 19th century. Is this going to be the next volume of robo? Uh, well, here, here's what you do finish reading volume eight, uh-huh. this last page. Turn to Back to the Future Part 3. Uh-huh. Just put that in the old DVD player. The VCR, Brian. Whichever. <laughs> the and uh, so that, that'll save us having to do Volume 9, and then we can jump straight to 10. Mm, yeah, okay, good. I'm sick and tired drawing horses already, so mm-hmm. this is great. <laughs> okay, good answer. Good answer. Yeah, yeah. Volume 9 is what Robo gets up to in the past. So for the first time ever, two Robo volumes will in fact exist back-to-back. 
it goes even further than that. It does, because volume 10 it goes into how Robo gets back from where he was. Wow, okay. It still holds to our maxim that you can read them individually, but we've gotten to the point now where we've developed too much material for it all to exist purely independently of one another. Yes. Um, but this will be the first time we go beyond just a simple reference to some other event in a different volume. They're still so disconnected that you, know, you don't need to know this whole ridiculous all over blah, 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 blah. You could just start with volume nine and be like, okay, I guess there's this 19th century robot for some reason. And from context of how the volume plays out, you realize, oh, he's trapped back in the past. Oh, he's right. Blah, blah, blah. And he's got problems because no nuclear reactors back then. <laughs> Thus ends volume eight. And uh, volume nine, is there a projected launch date for it? I believe we were soliciting for April, but I do not remember exactly. I, I, I feel like it was March or April. April sounds... Better. I think it was like April or May. It was a little, they, they pushed it out because of the Kickstarter work we had to do in Free Comic Book Day. Well, in the interim, much as we did before, except hopefully to a better effect, we'll be going back to Volume 1. And uh, we did Issue 1 of Volume 1, and now we'll be doing Issue 2 of Volume 1, So, uh, or, or something. We'll be going to the Robo-Back catalog and filling in the blanks of everything we need to do for Nuts and Bolts, if we are to cover <laughs> the whole series, uh, and putting Scott through the terrible pain of looking at his old art. Oh, jeez. That's okay. I'll get through it. But now, now we get to answer some of your questions. So let's do that. <laughs> if you want to ask us questions, it's hashtag AskRobo on Twitter or just hop on the Nerdy Show forums. There'll be a link on this episode's page. Go to nerdyshow.com slash AtomicRobo to get to where you can ask those questions. And for the coming volumes, if you have questions about volume one, now is definitely the time to ask them. So we will go to Twitter where um, Abby Breyer asked, will we be getting more Sparrow stories? Any chance we'll learn of Sparrow's origin? Yeah, there will definitely be a volume of Real Science Adventures dedicated entirely to the Sparrow legacy, from its possible origins in one of the Crusades all the way up to the modern day. There you go. <laughs> was that the, the next Real Science volume? I, to, I or was think it the, the next one is Jack, Jack and then the one after that is Sparrow. So the first volume of Real Science Adventure was entirely vignettes the second volume yeah. was the centurions of science hanging out doing stuff espionage and all that jazz Kessler's crew. and so are you are you saying that the future planned volumes of real science adventures are all in fact going to be like the second volume complete stories in a six or five issue bundles yes okay well that's cool well maybe not a complete story some they'll explore a similar theme like with the sparrow I don't imagine it's going to be six issues continuously as one story. It'll be like six one shots, but they'll all deal with the spare one somewhere. Well, yeah, especially if we're hopping through time with the, yeah, the various over a thousand years. Moving over to the forums now, I've got a question from Sean. And this question, I'm going to, I'm going to boil it down a little bit, Sean. So uh, please, please excuse me. But uh, he's basically asking, when will we see the story of how Jenkins trained Chuck Norris? <laughs> no. Okay. Probably never. He has a little bit of a, I guess, a fan fiction here. Very matter-of-factly asking, you know, Jenkins talked to uh, Carlos Ray Norris uh, back in 1968 and uh, told him that he would train him, and he calls Carlos Chuck, and so on and so forth. So, uh, there you go, dude. It's apparently not going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that the, uh, the Jenkins takes a uh, vacation story? He goes to, like, the Bahamas or something and runs into drug cartels. Yes. Uh, so wait, 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 was there, um, was there an instance that I've forgotten? Is he actually referencing something that happened in a Robo comic? Yes, it's one of the B stories in volume one. Well, but it's not. 
it doesn't take place in 1968. Okay, so it did happen, but but I guess the answer is still no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Sean. The, the, sh- the short answer, I guess, is that we will not do that. And then one more from Mr. J. Mir, who says, Have you ever thought of approaching another creator or company about doing a crossover, even if only so you could try your hand at writing slash drawing their character? For example, Robert Kirkman's Science Dog. Only science example I could immediately think of. The short answer there is also no. I don't know exactly how Brian feels about crossovers, so even I'll let him answer for himself, but I hate crossovers. I understand the appeal of them, but I think when you take the time to create a fictional world, you create certain rules that define that world, and oftentimes when you have a crossover, it requires you to break those rules to accommodate everyone. Well, like the shared universes of Marvel and DC. You know, Batman makes sense in a world where there are no actual superpowers. And then when you put him into a world where there are actual superpowers, you have to make all these justifications for why he's still a badass, even though he's just a guy. And when I was a super fan of Hellboy, I picked up all the crossovers with Hellboy. And, you know, they just, they just didn't work. You know, like the magic is gone for, for me anyway. So I, I, I dislike them deeply. I basically agree. We go through a lot of effort and time and energy to set up a self-consistent world. And uh, there's something to the point. Yeah, I kind of have no desire either. I mean, we have found other characters that would work in our world, but again, yeah, yeah. I guess lacking any real enthusiasm for it, we'd probably do a half-assed job. So no. Fair enough. And if you have questions for Brian and Scott about us, either specific volumes or broad questions, then you know what to do. Hashtag AskRobo on Twitter or hit us up on the Nerdy Show forums, which you can get to directly from nerdyshow.com slash AtomicRobo. As for other Robo stuff, well, there's all kinds of things cooking. If you were involved with the Atomic Robo Kickstarter, then um, I guess the the Tesla Dine book's coming along. Chugging along. And the Atomic Robo RPG is still on the way. Yes, I just heard something from Mike about it last week, which I think boiled down to just more layout and editing. It's, of course, running a bit late from projected release, but it is still very much coming soon. And we are indeed talking about doing something with it on Nerdy Show, so get excited for that. And um, uh, Doug and I actually put together a little robo thing, which we'll link to in this episode's page, where um, I sort of unofficially officially do the voice of Dr. Dinosaur because Brian asked me to for a thing that didn't actually happen. Um, oh. I know, but someday, maybe someday. Uh, we'll get there. <laughs> and then uh, Doug was he was late to Atomic Robo and got really into it. And he said, look, man, I'm serious. I think I can do Robo's voice. So we... Um, I was like, okay, prove it. And uh, we put together a reading of the classic Why Atomic Robo Hates Dr. Dinosaur. And Doug made a YouTube video of it. And uh, so we'll link to it on this episode's page. It it means nothing except that it's super fun. And we hope you like it. Like and share on the social networks. As far as other Robo stuff, well, Real Science Adventure, the next volume is at least collecting by the time you hear this. Yeah, the sixth issue of that series uh, and the final issue of that series comes out uh, very soon, well before you're listening to this. Uh, And I I think the trade is in December or January. I forget which. There you go. We'll link to it on this episode's page where you can either buy or pre-order it. And of course, anything you purchase through the Amazon links on these pages actually goes back into Nerdy Show. We get a cut of the purchase. So that's really cool. And uh, if you like what you hear, you should definitely do that, especially if you're wanting to pick up some Robo stuff. Which leads into the next thing, of course, Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts and all the programming on the Nerdy Show network is listener supported. So if you like what you heard then please, please, please contribute to Nerdy Show. We have uh, links on the Nerdy Show pages. You won't have trouble finding out how to support us. And if you do, we send you cool stuff in your email, like uh, outtakes and uh, other exclusive audio and images and other cool stuff. There's a whole list of it online. 
we rely solely on your contributions. So if there's any way you can help us out and you like our content, please do support us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to all of our coverage of Volume 8. It has been a wild ride, to say the least. And uh, we'll be back shortly with more Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts. Volume 9 when it starts. And in the meantime, oldies. But stuff we haven't yet covered on the show. Thanks for listening. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Brian. Bye, I'm Scott. See you next time. You've been listening to Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts. As listener-supported entertainment, they rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing them on iTunes, shopping at the Nerdy Show store, or directly donating to the network, which I have cunningly used my rubies on rails to redirect to my own personal bank account. Because the moronic mammalian flesh sacks at Nerdy Show are on the wiser, any side's contribution still gets you exclusive Nerdy Show audio and images and lets you participate in their monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or the Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com sponsorships. For more episodes of Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts, as well as other fine programs, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. For more Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts, head over to nerdyshow.com slash Atomic Robo. Please direct your DDoS attacks to atomic-robo.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via the iTunes store. For the latest news, follow them on all your favorite social networks. But we all know who you should really be following on your smart devices. Why, of course, me, Dr. Dinosaur, at Dr. Underscore Dinosaur. Because revenge is a dish best served 65 million years later. <laughs> Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.